Hello everyone and welcome to the second episode of The Vegan Pod. My name is Jen Jones, I'm the Digital Content Officer for The Vegan Society and in this episode we're going to be looking into all the amazing work that animal sanctuaries do. We will be exploring the inspiring stories and experiences of three very different animal sanctuaries who all share similar values. We want to thank everyone that commented, liked and shared our last episode of the podcast. I'm glad you enjoyed it and we're always happy to hear feedback. If you have any thoughts on our podcast, please head over to our social channels and let us know. Alternatively, you can send them to podcast at vegansociety.com. This episode, we're catching up with Wendashi Hatter from Huglet's Wood Farm Animal Sanctuary in East Sussex, UK. This sanctuary is home to cows and their friends, including pigs, sheep, geese, cats, and chickens. We also welcome Poonam Doshi, who is the founder of Lola's Sanctuary in West Sussex, UK. Poonam believes she is the first Hindu-born person to create an animal sanctuary in the UK, and quite possibly even in Europe. This sanctuary is home to cats and dogs, and the name Lola actually comes from the first cat that stepped out of a rescue carrier into the sanctuary. Later in the podcast, we have an interview with special guest tuned in all the way from Thailand, Chris Williams, who volunteers at the Elephant Nature Park in Northern Thailand, which is founded by Let Chilet. This sanctuary is home to elephants, of course, and also dogs, cats, rabbits, cows, buffaloes, goats, pigs, and many other species. So it's lovely to have you here. Um, could you please give our listeners an idea of your sanctuary and what it is you do there, starting with Wenda? Huglet's Wood Farm was started 25 years ago now, can you believe it? Uh, it was, was founded on the Jane principle of uh, nonviolence. We felt this was really important to bring to the West, um, the fact that we should live gently, we should, should be able to, to go through life without causing any harm. It was, it was founded really with the idea of providing a home for life to farm animals, cows in particular. And we, we literally started with, I think it was four cows and we've gone from there. We now host 326 animals and birds here. So um, 25 years, it's, it's, it's been fun. We also make sure that we look after the local wildlife. We've always felt that if we're putting a number of rescued animals on an area of land, we have to take into account those who exist here or existed here already. Mm -hmm. And also the environment. We try to live very, very gently. We look after the animals in a gentle way. We don't use chemicals. We don't do anything that's deleterious to the environment at all. Um, it, it's worked for us. It's, it's, it's sort of come to the point where we minimize our, our harm to, to everything. We use solar power, wind power, uh, recycle grey water. We do everything in our power to, to have a, a very small footprint. But the, the principle of the sanctuary was that we provided a home for life without rehoming so that by the time anybody got here, they didn't have to move on. Okay. Um, and what is it that you do at your sanctuary? We provide a home to rescued farm animals. So okay. we specialize in handicapped animals. Um, well, we don't specialize in them. We tend to, to have more handicapped animals and animals with mental problems coming to us because over the years we've earned a reputation for being able to care for them. And same question to Poon, I'm like, what could you give our listeners an idea of your sanctuary and what, what it is you do as well? So at Lola Sanctuary, we take in neglected, abused and mistreated cats, as well as strays and the ones with medical needs. For example, Mufasa, one of the cats that I picked up as a stray, has FIV. That's feline AIDS. 
a lot of vets will put down FIV cats. Um, not only that, but upon neutering him, we discovered that he had a serious issue, which has probably been caused by some sort of abuse, maybe a kick or a punch to the stomach, or a, a really aggressive pull to the tail. This has caused him significant bladder damage and he's sadly unable to urinate or go to the toilet. So we have to express his bladder every single day and currently his condition is being managed through medication. If he does need specialist surgery, we will make sure that he gets that attention. Um, we also have others with dietary needs or other special needs. For example, one of the cats is ex-feral. And although he still has many feral ways, he wouldn't survive in the wild and he would not survive as an outdoor cat because he's had a vestibular problem. That's left him both partly deaf and also he's got really wobbly needs, knees. We are predominantly a cat rescue. However, we do offer sanctuary to cat-friendly dogs and we are looking to expand to take on more animals. Ideally, we want to take on farm animals as well in the future. We are a strictly no-kill animal sanctuary and every animal is given the specialist care he or she requires. Wenda, I understand that Hoglets runs a cow protection programme. Can you tell our listeners about that and what inspired the idea to help cows in particular? Traditionally, cow protection was a title given to any place where they had cows or oxen. So cows for milk, oxen for draught. Um, the essential thing being that they didn't slaughter. Um, that goes back to Vedic times when they had um, goshalas, pandrapurs, things like that, where, where animals gave something and in return they weren't, they weren't killed. Um, we thought we'd give this uh, a, a little tweak and we took it a stage further and we, we created a program where cows could come to us um, they didn't have to give us anything. Obviously, being vegan, we wouldn't take milk from them. We wouldn't separate calves from them. Um, we wouldn't work oxen. So our cow protection project here means that any cow or ox or bullock, as we say in England, could come to us and, and live out their lives in their entirety, just being themselves, without having to, to give anything back. Um, I think the most important thing in here is we have a core belief in killing can never be an act of mercy. So at, at, at any one time, we will have very elderly cows tottering around. Um, their, their medical needs, their physical needs, their mental needs are all cared for, which is a part of the project. Um, the idea of it being that we support them in the whole of their life that they, they leave their body or dies, as we say in the West, when they are ready, when their body has, has stopped working. So, so to us, the cow protection program means what it says. We protect cows so that they can go through life without any interruption or, or having their lives cut short. Okay. Um, can you tell us, our listeners, about the cows you've saved and what you've been able to do for them? Um, as I said before, we... We have a lot of cows who have physical handicaps or, or mental handicaps. We're, one of them in particular is a little guy called Nipper Jackson who came to us with retracted front legs. It wasn't just a, a matter of ligaments being shortened. He has a, a physical deformity in his hooves, which means that he walks bow-legged and with his knees bent. Fortunately, there are wonderful people in this world like Derek Campanar, who's um, a prosthesist who, in America. 
he gave his time to us about two years ago to make some superb multicolored um, glow in the dark psychedelic leg braces for Nipper. His philosophy being flaunted. If you have a physical deformity, flaunted. And and we loved that, and Nipper loved it. Um, so so with his leg braces, it means that he can actually walk standing up. His back's level that that increases his quality of life. To us. We accept the fact that that all we can do for some of the the cows here is give them a quality of life that is is um, up to what they can do physically or mentally. But to them, it's 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 a quality of life. It's what their bodies and their minds allow them to do. Um, we have uh, other cows that come to us who are physically able. We've just taken nine cows from a farmer who was diagnosed with cancer. He didn't want publicity, and he said that he had looked at lots of sanctuaries, and we were the ones that didn't didn't make a big hoo-ha when we took anybody here, and he liked that because he couldn't face the judgment that would come with him deciding to stop farming and wanting to put his last few girls in a sanctuary. Um, we We really cover all aspects. We have cows with no eyes here. We have... Um, Archie No Tail, who has fused hips and no tail, obviously, from his name. Um, he's blind in one eye. He's partially deaf. When he came to us, um, the government vet said he would never live a full life. And for two years, he used to watch his, his herd mates go out and graze. We were told because he ran sideways, he would never be safe to let out. But after two years, he joined them and he hasn't looked back since. He's learned to, to move, which he couldn't do when he came. Um, he's just fitted in because we work around the animals that come to us. We tend to see what they need because they're all individual and we, we tailor our care of them to suit them. Poonam, could you share with us how Lilith Sanctuary has came to be? What inspired the idea and how did you set it up? Yes, absolutely. So from a very young age, I've always wanted to rescue animals. Um, I initially rehomed Lola and Pillow um, due to um, the increased um, demand for exotic and oriental cats. Both Lola and Pillow were used for breeding. And then as soon as they were no longer profitable, um, they were discarded and dumped. Um, so they were the first two sanctuary cats. Since then, we've taken on more and more cats, the ones that end up in rescue because of some of trauma, mistreatment, cruelty, neglect they have suffered, the ones that have lost faith in, in, in humans, um, the ones that need plenty of time, patience and love. Um, everything we do um, at Lola Sanctuary is tailored for that individual cat or that individual dog. There is, there is no pressure on them to, you know, do certain things. They live their lives in sanctuary here um, and this is their forever home. Um, We've slowly grown and grown over the years, and we have now created two huge specialist areas for the animals. Both of these areas are completely enclosed, so while they are outdoors, they are in the safety of an enclosed environment. And both of these areas have all the environmental enrichment that these animal or that the animals need, and it keeps them safe, happy, and well. So, I know you founded the, the sanctuary by yourself. Um, do you get any help with that? Um, yeah, absolutely. So for a long time, I've been doing everything single-handedly and it's been really hard. I also work full-time and I have a very busy full-time job. So it's been difficult to effectively juggle two full-time jobs 
there are days when you see so much animal cruelty and so much animal abuse that it's both mentally and physically exhausting. Um, most recently, we took a, we rescued a large number of cats from North London. All of these cats were rescued as a result of being abandoned. A block of flats in North London was knocked down and hardly anyone took their animals with them or took their cats with them. So suddenly all these cats had gone from being in a loving home to not having any shelter, not having any food, right. not knowing what was going on. Um, and we got a call. Um, during Because of COVID, hardly any other rescues were going out. So although we're based a good hour and a half away, we went, we went down to North London and in total we made eight trips in two weeks. Um, we took in nine cats, including a mum and three kittens. None of the cats that we took in were spayed or neutered and there were five males in this, in this pack. So unsurprisingly, the mum that had just had kittens who were now three months old and were living under a shed, she's now pregnant again. Um, so we're just waiting for these babies to be born now. Since then, we've had them all spayed and neutered, um, apart from the mum who will be spayed as soon as she has her kittens. Um, as part of the expansion of the sanctuary, we had the second unit built. Um, and that, like I said earlier, that covers all the environmental enrichment. Um, I couldn't now do this work alone. Um, my head volunteer has been with me for a while. And most recently, I placed a notice, board, a notice on a social media um, website. Um, and I had over 170 applications. From that interview process, I selected four volunteers. Um, it's really important to me that my volunteers are as passionate about animals as I am. They need to understand that the animals that we have here, due to the mistreatment, the cruelty, the trauma that these animals may have experienced, they're not the kind of cats and dogs that are just gonna roll over. You need to build their trust and that takes time um, and patience and plenty of love. Um, and all of them are absolutely amazing at giving these animals the time that they need and getting building up their trust. I also have two volunteers managing Lola Sanctuary online presence. So we are on Facebook and Instagram at Lola Sanctuary, and we have just launched our website at www.lolasanctuary.co.uk. Now I'm really, really pleased with the team we've got at Lola Sanctuary, and I couldn't answer a better team. They are absolutely fantastic. That's cool. So I mentioned in the in the introduction to this podcast that you may well be the first Hindu-born person to create a sanctuary in the UK. And that could also extend to Europe. So how has that experience been for you? I'd say it's been mixed. So sometimes it's been really difficult and sometimes it's been amazing. My family are really supportive and always have been. However, as a Hindu, there is so much cultural pressure to become a doctor, an accountant, a lawyer, then get married and settle down and have your kids. That is what one is supposed to do. And that is the pressure that's put on you from a very young age. I've not done any of those things um, and I've really broken the mould. I would really love to see more Hindus and other ethnic minorities doing more in this area, whether it's volunteering at Animal Sanctuary, setting up their, on their own or doing more vegan outreach. There is so much animal cruelty in the world, whether it's companion animals, farm animals, wildlife. We need to see more people doing more for the voiceless. Um, so this is a question for both of you. Um, what is the mission of your sanctuary and what values would you like to share with the world? Um, starting with Wenda. Um, our mission, let me think, is, <laughs> is really to change society's perception of farmed animals. Um, as it stands, when we have visitors, we can tell when they look into one of the animal's eyes that they will, will turn to us and say, oh, they're just like a dog or a cat. 
to us, we need them to look into the eyes of another, another being and realize they are the same as us. That is what we want to achieve. We also really want to gently educate the world in the importance of living with nonviolence. Um, we believe all life is equal. Um, we, we think that for too long, people who have realized the same thing have been silenced with accusations of anthropomorphism, um, that, that, that we are seeing animals in the form of human, we're humanizing them. But, but we, we really believe that, that it, isn't, it isn't our right as humans to, to feel pain, to, to bond with our young, to grieve. We want, we want through the people who visit us on our open days each year for more and more to go away and, and sit at home, even if they come as non-vegan. We're finding when the people have been here and they've spent time with the animals, when they've talked to us and talked to the, the volunteers who help us on open days, um, that they, they come to realize there is no difference, no difference in any species. The same question for Poonam as well. I have cats and dogs that have really suffered some of the worst neglect and some of the worst cruelty. Um, a trio that we've provided sanctuary space to, Mason, Lorenzo and Madison, um, they were all on the streets. Um, Mason and Lorenzo are both cats and they were young kittens when their mum was cruelly poisoned by someone. Both would have died. They were really young. They would have definitely died. Um, had Madison a dog, not taken them in. And Madison had been spayed, but she'd been released back onto the streets because the rescue centre in Bulgaria was absolutely full. Um, and they found Mason and Lorenzo, both the, both the kittens suckling on Madison's nipples. Even though she had no milk, they were suckling on her nipples. It's a dog's nipples, just for comfort, just for, you know, a little bit of protection. Um, and Madison stepped in and took care of both these kittens. Um, when we heard of this story, we provided sanctuary space for all three and we've had them for over a year and they still sleep and play together. They, the kittens still think, you know, Madison's their mum. They still eat together. They do everything together. That is a really tight family unit. Um, and it's situations like this that have created my personal mission. And it is a bold one. However, it is the only mission that I will hold. And therefore, as the founder of Lola Sanctuary, the sanctuary will hold this mission too. And that is to create a world where every animal is recognized as sentient and every animal is free from human exploitation, where they can live out their lives in safety and happiness. Yeah, um, so, Sorry to interrupt. It seems as if we, we both want the same thing here, Poonam. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> I, I think that's wonderful because there are so many sanctuaries doing so many different things, but the core value and the core belief is exactly the same and and it gives me hope for the future yeah yeah that, that's exactly it i mean you know when i've talked about this mission to others they've said oh that's very bold but it's the only it's the only way forward that that's it there is no halfway point we have to end animal suffering absolutely um so Poonam, as your sanctuary is quite new and you're still in the initial stages of getting it off the ground what would you say to someone who is thinking of doing something similar or perhaps they just want to do more for the animals beyond choosing a vegan lifestyle? Um, what would you say to someone that wants to, doesn't know where to start with that? I would say do your research. Um, get as much support as you can from friends, family and other animal lovers. 
you will need their support. There is no time off in animal rescue. It can be incredibly tough, um, especially when you lose them. Um, however, the joy, the love, you know, that you get when you see their little faces every day, nothing can match that. It's truly incredible. It, it, it really is. Um, for me, going vegan was a fantastic first step, but it was never going to be enough. So I created Lola Sanctuary. I also attend as many vegan outreach events as possible and raise as much awareness as I can of the importance of ending animal suffering and going vegan. To be honest, um, and this may be something that your listeners may find hard to hear, but I do find it quite disappointing that when a new burger comes out or when there's a new vegan event, you see people in their hundreds flock to buy the burger or attend the event. During COVID, sanctuaries have really suffered. We, we don't get government funding. We've lost out on visitor funding and we can't continue doing what we do without support. For me, we need more vegans to be that voice for the voiceless and the animals need us. Going vegan is a really important step. It's a huge step, but it's only the first step. And there is so much more as a collective and with the numbers that we have and more and more people going vegan every day, there is just so much more that we can do. And we really can achieve these bold missions that both me and Wenda have mentioned today. So Wenda, how, how has life been at the sanctuary, like especially during the pandemic and the past few months of lockdown? Um, obviously, I imagine with lockdown, there's not been any help from volunteers um, and you've got so many animals to look after. So how has that impacted the sanctuary? It's, it's been wonderfully quiet. <laughs> I must admit, I have to be absolutely honest and say mm. it's we, we've had time to focus 101% on the animals without having to cater for open days as much as we love open days and people coming to us it's it's taken us back to the early days when nobody bothered with Huglet's mm. Woods and we were here on our own working to fund everything single-handedly well two four-handedly and 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 looking after the animals um it, it's been a strange time and to be to be honest our lives haven't changed we haven't been affected by the things that people in towns have been affected by um, we don't have volunteers here. We've, we've got a core, wonderful little army of uh, sponsors and donors who, if we need something doing, will, will turn up en masse and help us for a day or two days. They'll come back the next day and finish off. We started many years ago with volunteers and I, I mean, 25 years is a long time and people do change in that time. But We've always found that because we're dealing with handicapped animals, mentally challenged animals, and because when we work, we can work from here. Matthew, my partner, makes charcoal. He's a traditional woodsman. So he will, will make compost, vermicompost. He will do all sorts of things, which can be done here, which means he's always on site. Mm -hmm. um, I can work from here. I grow vegetables. I make things for shows. I attend shows. So. So really, um, if you can hear in the background, the geese are having a fight, so ignore <laughs> it. Um, we're, we're not in Poonam's position where she's trying to hold down an outside job where it's heavy pressure. We can literally, and we always have done since the sanctuary started, um, being able to work. Because for many years, until about five years ago, Matthew and I paid for everything at the sanctuary. We we had to find 800 pounds a week between us as well as do all the work. So so we're, we're sort of used to 
um, the the donations drying up because, as I said, we haven't had the open days, so we haven't had the money coming in from the open days. There are no shows. I normally do about 10 shows a year. There's, there's not one. There are two virtual shows coming up, and I'm sitting here looking at all the things that are required for a virtual <laughs> show, thinking, I don't know if I can do that. Yeah. But it's it's been a strange time. It, it's hit us hard financially because, as Punan said, the, the money has not been coming in. I think, other than our regular donors, we we have probably lost our external income, probably 80% of it. And unfortunately, we've never stopped working ourselves because we believe if you're a sanctuary, as, as Poonam knows herself, you can't just rely on donations. You have to make sure, if you're calling yourself a sanctuary, that, that if everything goes wrong in society, like the pandemic, you can feed your residents, you can care for them, you can negotiate with the vets to, to, to make payments of, of the care as you go along. It's a great responsibility. And I, I always cringe when I hear places say we rely solely on donations because I go into panic mode and think, what if the donations dry up? What then? Yeah. But it's it, it's been a learning curve for us here. Uh, probably not one I would like to go through again in the high. <laughs> but it has taught us a lot. And it's it's made us look more and more about getting back to the position where we were able to fund probably 90% of the sanctuary ourselves. That's amazing. Um, so I was going to ask, what are you going to say, sorry? I was just, just going to add to what Wenda said. Um, I, I do work full time and that covers 95% of the sanctuary costs. Um, I negotiate um, payment plans with my vets so that I'm paying everything off monthly. And, you know, none of these animals, uh, they never go without. So everything they need is, is catered for. But I want to grow. I want to, I want to do more. I want to rescue more animals. I want to expand. And for that, although I've got the passion and the love, and the ability and the support with my volunteers, I now need the financial support as well. So through sponsorship, through donations, um, and hopefully we will get that and we will continue to rescue more animals. Yeah, that'd be amazing. Um, I was gonna ask this question to both of you. So if your non-human animal residents could put a message out into the world, what do you think they would say or just what would they want people to know, um, starting with Puna? Um, yeah, of course. So one of my sanctuary cats, Phoenix, he was initially left outside um, a church in a box, along with two of his brothers. Um, he would have definitely died had someone not found the box. He was, um, you know, kids, everyone loves kittens, and he was adopted as a kitten along with his two siblings. Seven years later, I just need to say that again, seven years later, he was returned to rescue um, by himself. They kept his brothers and they, um, they returned just him because he was slightly skittish, slightly hard work. Can you imagine the trauma this poor cat went through being separated from his family after seven years, being dumped in rescue? Um, he was incredibly scared. Um, and because he was so scared, that made him even more skittish. No one wanted, no one wanted him. Um, he ended up being in rescue for three years. When we found out about him, we immediately offered him rescue space. And within a week of me giving him plenty of love, attention, he was sitting on my lap and purring away. Mm. So I think my non-human residents would ask you to give them a chance. 
I know it's easy to go to a rehoming centre and see that cute one that's meowing and purring away. Those are the ones that always find, find homes quickly. It's the scared ones, the skittish ones, the ones with medical needs. They're the ones that need your support. So please do give them a chance. And once you have their trust and their love, it's truly endless and truly rewarding. That's lovely. Um, I'd ask the same question to Wendy then. What would you think your non-human animal residents would say? I would think that they would say we want a world where our freedom and our safety doesn't depend on living in a sanctuary. I think they'd also say that ours is the right to life without fear or abuse. I was going to ask this question also to Wanda, um, or both of you really. Um, what can our listeners do to help your sanctuaries? Um, yeah, start with Wanda, please. <laughs> <laughs> I think um, go vegan is wonderful. As Poonam said, it's, it's the first step. Mm. I think people need to open their minds, even when they are vegan. We see so many vegan people who are unaware of the actual crisis that animals are facing. Some people have the strangest idea that, that maybe we should wipe the, the canvas clean. I don't know whether that means euthanize everything or kill everything and start in a world where it's just us because nothing suffers anymore. But I think, I think other than financial support to us, which is what every sanctuary would say, and I'm very disinclined to say, give us your money, um, because I believe if people like what we do, they will feel drawn to support us. But I think for, for farm animals, for cats, for dogs, for for every animal, for wildlife, people really need to come to terms with we are not separate from animals. We are animals. We are not better than animals. We are on the same level as animals. It's just our arrogance that has taught us over the generations that we're superior. So as much as we would like support, financial support, I think the bigger picture is change your lives, think about things, learn, educate yourselves, and walk the talk. Um, and you can find um, Hoglets over on Facebook if anyone wants to check out your the work that you do. Is that is that right? Hoglets Wood Farm Animal Sanctuary? That's correct. We've got a wonderful, beautiful new website coming out. Okay. Um, because I'm doing it myself to make sure it's just as we want it, as Poonam knows, you know, my spare time in inverted commas like 10 minutes a day, if I'm lucky. Um, it, it may be a few more weeks in coming, but, but it will be a beautiful site when it's out and we will post the details of that on Facebook. Lovely, okay. Um, Poonam as well, what, what could our listeners do to help your sanctuary? Whilst I've shared some of the stories of a few animals that we have at Lola Sanctuary, these are not unique stories. And we're constantly being asked to take in more abandoned, mistreated or abused animals. Rescue centres across the country are full. Um, people do not neuter or spay their cats and dogs and people still buy from breeders. So please spay, neuter your cats and please adopt, don't shop. I'm really proud of what we've established so far and the animals we have saved. I really want us to grow and save more animals. We are a strictly no-kill animal sanctuary and every animal is given the middle medical attention that he or she requires. Like I said earlier, we do not receive any government funding. So whilst I have the passion to rescue as many as I can, 
I cannot do any more without more funding. So please go online and donate or sponsor a cat or dog on our website, www.lolasanctuary.co.uk. And also, if you can, please share and follow our Facebook and Instagram pages at Lola's Sanctuary. And thank you. And now we have Chris Williams, who offers an insight into the life of a volunteer at Elephant Nature Park. Hi, Chris. Um, so you volunteer Hi. at Elephant Nature Park, founded by Lex Chilet in Thailand. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about what it is you do there and just a little bit about the park in general? Yeah, of course. So um, Elephant Nature Park, or EMP, as I'll probably refer to it throughout the, the interview, was uh, established in the 1990s um, by Lex Chilet, um, who's dedicated most of her life to helping the Asian <laughs> elephant and educate sorry about that <laughs> dog here coughing next to me <laughs> one second Betty, you can do that again <laughs> i'm sorry about that that's fine um nature park was established in the 1990s by by lex charlotte who's dedicated most of her life to helping the asian elephant and education of the mistreatment of these um, beautiful animals um so the sanctuary rescues rehabilitates and provides a safe haven for not just elephants, so many other animals. Um, elephants, of course, being the, the main one, but they've got over 550 dogs here now, 600 plus cats, it's buffaloes, cows, horses, sheep, pigs, um, rabbits that have been rescued from the animal, um, the testing industry. Um, there's monkeys and bears, uh, different types of birds, and even tortoises that, um, that, uh, that live here. Right. Many of the animals that are actually here at EMP um, and others um, live in uh, different sanctuaries um, across Thailand um, that are run by the park and also in Cambodia as well. Okay. Uh, as far as what I do here, so I volunteer with the, the Dog Project. Um, so the Dog Project actually started in 2011 um, during the Bangkok floods. Um, so what actually happened, Lek and a team of volunteers went down to Bangkok and rescued as many animals as they could that have been misplaced by the floods. Um, so lots of animals came back up here, as well as 200 dogs. So this is really when the, the work of the dog project really started. So they, you know, build the infrastructure and build the runs and set up the park or an area of the park that could house these dogs. Right. Um, so if you skip forward to 2020, there's now... Um, so there was 200. So there's probably now about uh, 550-ish dogs here. Um, we adopt dogs out, of course, so that keeps the numbers going. Uh, you know, keeps the numbers steady as well. Um, so I mean, these dogs have been rescued from all different types of situations, really. Um, many from the meat trade. Many have been dumped up at the gates. The Bangkok floods, of course, we've rescued dogs from puppy mills breeding facilities, um, and sometimes dogs just be brought here by their owners for treatment and they never get picked up again. So they just get left here, which is, which is very sad actually. Yeah. Um, but you know, if they don't want them, they can come here and they'll live a much better life, mm. um, which is good. So as far as the work that myself and the other volunteers do, we, we look after, um, a lot of the work is done looking after the clinic dogs. So sick dogs that require extra treatment um, from a lot of work from the vets, but they obviously live in, in the clinic. So we do a lot of feeding, walking, cleaning, and helping to rehabilitate the dogs really and nurture them back to health some of the dogs are only in for a day or a couple of days other dogs are in for for longer periods depending on the the condition really that they that they arrive in or if they pick something up here really and so how do the animals find their way to the sanctuary like what is the what are their stories and how do you rescue them 
Well, there's many ways the animals find their way here. So, of course, some of the, the main animals that I've just mentioned, you know, your, your, your pigs, cows, uh, sheep, goats as well, um, have all been uh, horses, have all been rescued from a lot of them from the slaughterhouses. So they've either been on their way to slaughter or they were that's where their destination was. So uh, many of them are the owners or you know, people who rescue the animals have got in contact with the park and said, you know, these animals will be heading to here shortly. Would you like to rescue them? And that's how a lot of the animals have got here. As far as elephants go, um, so they can live a long time. Um, elephants, you know, 70, 80 plus years, if not longer. Um, so many of them have spent their entire lives um, working. Um, whether it's been in the logging industry, uh, in circuses, riding camps, um, and street performers. So it's just some of the jobs that elephants have done over the years um, that I'm sure we all probably know about, um, even things like in zoos as well. Mm. Um, so a lot of them make their way here from those industries. So a lot of the time, especially during the COVID-19 um, pandemic that we're in now, a lot of these riding camps and and, and companies that use elephants on behalf of you know the, the tourist industry to ride, for example, have no tourists. Um, so a lot of these companies have had no money. They've had to close down. Uh, they're unable to feed the elephants. So many of the mm -hmm. camp owners have actually reached out to um, Save Elephant Foundation, Elephant Nature Park, and LEC for help. Right, okay. Uh, so especially over this period, they've really... Um, really struggled just because there are many elephant riding camps around Thailand um, and all of them almost are struggling to feed their elephants. Yeah so I heard that a baby elephant recently came into the sanctuary what was it what was the story with them? So yeah the baby elephant yeah so a baby elephant and the mom um, were rescued from a, a riding camp um, not too far away from the park actually uh, probably 20, 30 kilometers. Very similar situation to the riding. The mom was used for riding and the owners of the, the camp simply ran out of money. They've had no tourists. Mm -hmm. So they've reached out to Lek and asked if um, she can take care of the elephant. Right. Um, so there was a lot of fundraising that have, that's going on. And I know we'll touch on that in a few of the other questions. Mm -hmm. um, but a lot of fundraising is going on at the moment because here at Elephant Nature Park, um, we've just opened back up again to... Um, kind of local tourism really and any anyone who's still in the country um mm -hmm. to to come back in but for the last four months there's been no visitors so a lot of the income from the park has purely been um fundraising donations and um other foundations across the world that people um have been been giving money to to help animals not just elephants of course many of the uh, animals that i've mentioned um so what is the mission of the sanctuary and what would you say the values are that you would share with the world well the the main mission really is to rescue rehabilitate and educate and also support the local communities um they do a lot of work here educating the future generations you know around the treatment of elephants and, and all animals really um they offer um help and support to elephant riding camps um if they would like to change their model to the way of the park which is uh you know they don't have any riding here there's no chains chain free shelters um, they don't use um, something called a bull hook. So a bull hook is used to control an elephant. It's uh, a long stick with a sharp pointy end on it, usually uh, like a, what's the best way to describe it? Anyway, it's used to control the elephant um, yeah. throughout its time. And the elephant knows not to misbehave, otherwise it's going to get 
um, really, you know, it's, it's going to get abused to, it, with the with the bullhook or with another type of instrument. Um, mm. So there's none of that here. Um, so yeah, so it's it's really just to to educate people on, yeah. on, on what it's like um, for the Asian elephant, really. So how did you find your way to the Elephant Asia Park? Like, what is your story with your volunteer in there? Okay, so I, I first came to um, Elephant Nature Park in 2014, purely by chance. Um, uh, I was on holiday in Thailand with a friend, and someone recommended uh, to come here if I wanted to see elephants, really. Um, we were actually lucky enough to be part of uh, one of the first few visitors to a saddle off project that um, the the park had just opened. So what a saddle off project is, is a... Uh, riding camp that have switched their values, switched their ways to, you know, no saddle, no riding, all positive mm-hmm. reinforcement. Um, um, yes, yeah, so we were one of the first people to, to try this new, new, uh, what would you call it, a new project, really. Mm-hmm. Um, it, was, it was awesome. Um, you, you meet the elephants, you walk into the, the jungle, the forest with them, they follow you, you follow them, you have a bag of bananas, and it's very kind of relaxed, and you, you cross the river with them, and then it's a it's a it's a good day trip actually. It's really good. And it's mm-hmm. something that still goes on now, which is great. Um, yeah, we loved it that much. We came back a year later with my parents, mm-hmm. um, and then I was backpacking Southeast Asia with my girlfriend, and we decided to do a week's volunteering with the dog project that they have here. Um, mm-hmm. We ended up staying a month, uh, left for a couple of months to do some more travelling, and then ended up coming back for another two months. Okay. Um, so it's like uh, an addictive place. I think once you've been here and you've you see you get the feel for it and you see what it's really like, you um, it's difficult to leave. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It was good. And then we left for a year and went to Australia and did some working and then came back and we haven't left and that was about eight months ago now. So that's really cool. Yeah. So yeah, you're enjoying it at least. <laughs> yeah, it's good, good fun. It really is good fun. You meet some great people and you get to work with. Uh, I mean, obviously work with the dogs. You get to work with uh, a lot of dogs and. You get to be around elephants and all different types of animals as well. It's uh, really yeah. awesome. That's really cool. So as someone that's basically gone and lived the dream and worked abroad and, you know, worked at, at the Elephant Nature Park, what would you um, would you say to someone who's thinking of doing the same sort of thing? Well, I'd personally say just go and do it. Just yeah. take, the, take the leap. <laughs> I mean, for, for, for myself, um, I never saw myself doing anything like this at all i've always loved animals and and and, and things like that but uh, i spent 13 years as a retail manager in the in the uk um right. which i honestly thought that that was that was my career and that's what i'd do for yeah. you know kind of like the rest of my life almost um, um i didn't I, I knew places like this existed um but i didn't realize how much fun they, they could be and what they the values they they actually had really yeah um but yeah I'd, honestly i'd just say come and give it a go um doesn't have to be thailand i mean you can volunteer at your local dog shelter or cat shelter or something like yeah. that so, um and like i said before you meet like-minded people you get to share the, you know, the love passion and, and enthusiasm that you you know that you all have to that brings you into something like this yeah you'll definitely learn some more skills as well if your non-human animal residents could put a message out into the world what do you think they would say or what would they want people to know Oh, I think they just say that we're all equal, yeah. really. Um, we all have feelings and can understand what's going on. Um, they can all feel pain and all feel loss. Um, yeah. yeah, they just want to be happy and free and live their lives free from abuse and, and be safe. 
Yeah, absolutely. You know, definitely some of the morals of, of this place from rescuing all the animals, keeping them safe, rehabilitating them, and seeing the difference from, you know, a, a, a very sick elephant, as an example, that will come here and they'll be given the correct medication, mm -hmm. um, the right food, diets, um, the, you know, love and bananas is, the, yeah. is probably the key, is uh, um, for an elephant, of course. Yeah, so that's a, a documentary, isn't it? That Love and Banan Bananas and Elephant Story? That's it, yeah. So um, yeah. it's a film starring, uh, starring Lek um, of a rescue of an elephant called Noina. Which she, she's actually uh, at this park. She was rescued some years ago, and it's a documentary actually about um, kind of the start to finish, really, of bringing Noina from her elephant camp to, to her you know, forever home here at EMP. Yeah. Okay, and it's documented cool. the whole process for, you know, being at the camp, loading onto the vehicle, the journey, and then her rehabilitation into the park. I like a before and after. What can our listeners do to help the Elephant Nature Park? Okay, so firstly, I'd say come and give us a visit. Um, we're located in the north of Thailand. Um, if you're holidaying in Thailand or traveling, uh, you know, add this place to your, to your list. I know um, COVID-19 issues have uh, probably put a stop to travel for the time being, um, but once that resumes and everything gets to some back to some kind of normality, you know, come and come and give us a visit. If you're, um, you can come here for a day trip, overnight trip, uh, weekly volunteering with the elephants or the dogs, um, and also some of the, the many other projects that they have, like I mentioned, the saddle off projects. Um, yeah. Not only will you be, you know, supporting the animals I've mentioned, you also get to meet some of them and enjoy the beautiful surroundings of the of northern Thailand, and you also get to uh, sample some of the, the fabulous vegan food that they um, offer to all guests uh, who stay here. Um, and also, as a place that, uh, like I said, relies highly uh, relies sorry um, highly on tourism, heavily on tourism. Sorry, right now there are many foundations and donation websites that are dedicated to helping the cause. So, um, just means that Save Elephant Foundation, Lek and her team can continue to rescue, rehabilitate, and continue doing the good work of um, rescuing all these animals. Okay, so if anyone wants to find anything about that, they can head over to the website at elephantnaturepark.org. Is that right? That's right, that's it, okay. that's it. And Save Elephant Foundation as well. It's, okay, uh, two Save Elephant Foundation. Much. That's it. Fab. Awesome, well, thank you for your time. Cheers. Yeah, thank you very much. Thanks for having me. It was lovely to hear about all the fantastic work that Animal Sanctuary is doing. We hope that you enjoyed listening and we would love it if you could head over to their social media and give them a follow if you'd like to hear more about the important work they're doing. Here at the Vegan Society, we're planning our biggest campaign yet. Future Noir is an incredibly exciting interactive project which will help non-vegan animal lovers to reflect on their relationships with animals and explore a more compassionate way of living. We go live in September, but until then you can follow our campaign on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter at Our Future Normal. From 31st of July, the next issue of our magazine, The Vegan, is available. In this issue, we've got a comfort food special featuring delicious recipes from Rachel Allen and Jack Monroe, plus a feature article about vegan ethics in video games. We are also shining a light on some of the individuals who have been making a difference during the pandemic and using their platform for positive change. You can join us as a member starting from £2 a month with our EK membership and receive the magazine as a benefit for each quarter. To find out more, visit vegansociety.com join. Thank you once again for joining us for our second episode. You can find all the episodes over on Podbean and they'll also be available on Google Podcasts and on Apple iTunes. Also, keep an eye on our social media channels where we post new podcast content and you can find all of our news and updates over on our website at vegansociety.com. 